say a few additional things about the announcements um, that were uh, not in the bulletin, but, but I think are important. Um, this week on Wednesday night, we will have our youth group as normal. Uh, and so we encourage the kids to come out for Wednesday night youth group at 6, 6.30. Is that right? I do it every week, but my, my memory is going. Um, so we do need your help in that. I don't think anybody has signed up for food for this Wednesday night or for the Wednesday night after New Year's. So if you can help out with that, um, there's a sign-up sheet out in the foyer, and they will, um, you can sign up and bring a, and you can ask uh, me or my wife or somebody here, what does that, ma- what does that mean, and we'll give you some details on it. Um, so that's Wednesday night. Then Saturday night this week is the Christmas Eve Eve service. It's at 7 o'clock. It'll last approximately an hour. So if, you, um, if you're free that evening and you just want to come and worship the Lord, we'll have a, a season of singing and then a, a very short um, look at the um, birth of our Lord and during the season of, of, of Christmas. And then next Sunday morning is our, our normal services. We'll have Sunday school. We'll do everything the same as we've done it. Uh, we're, doing it we're doing it this week, so uh, come expecting a blessing then. Uh, one last thing was mentioned my, that I'm starting a, a new small group. Um, that's partially true. I'm actually taking the leadership role of a current small group that's already in place. And, and then in addition to that, we want to encourage you that if you're already in a small group, do not come to our small group. Okay? We, we want you to stay with your small group. And uh, if you're not in a small group, we would, we would welcome you to come to ours and uh, if you're not in a small group, the ones who are there would welcome you to come to theirs. And so we would love to see everybody in the church be a part of a small group in some way. For those of you who are a, smart of, a part of a small group, it's a blessing, amen? amen. Yeah. So, so you, heard all, you heard the ones that said amen, so it's, it's a good time. So if you um, are not connected in that way, there are small groups on Sunday night, Monday night, or Sunday afternoon, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. And I think that's it, right? So if you have a night of the week that you're open in, those, uh, in that time frame, then um, look on our schedule back there, connect with the people who are leading it, and you'll be blessed for being there. So with, with that, with those reminders, uh, Luke this morning, um, Luke, so we've, we've, we're looking at uh, the, the four weeks of Advent this year on Sundays, um, many of you are doing some type of an Advent study, perhaps a devotional of some kind, and so you're connecting on uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ coming the first time through the Advent season of Christmas um, through some type of devotional. And on Sundays, we're trying to focus on it um, by looking at each one of the Gospels and how they relate to Christ or, or what they present about Christ. We learned the first week that each one of the Gospels is a biography of Jesus Christ's life, and it's written from four different perspectives. We talked about the fact that it almost would be like if your husband or your wife or your children or your boss or your friends, if they would all write different biographies about your life, you would find that there would be some differences but each one of those biographies would be 100% true from the perspective of the one who was writing the biography. In the same way, the Gospels are written from four different perspectives, not based upon the relationship that the writers have with Jesus Christ, but more based upon the fact that God, in His divine will 
and his um, inspiration of Scripture decided that there were four very key characteristics about the life of Christ that we needed to connect with. Now, one of the neat things about being a Christian is we know that when we get to heaven, we will learn about Christ for eternity. So the, the study of Christ is not concluded with um, it's not concluded in this life. And we are going to go to heaven and we are going to see things and know things and learn things and, and even be like, oh man, I was wrong on that one, right? Can I get an amen on that? <laughs> Nobody in here is wrong like me. Uh, you know, we're going to see things and, and experience things and know things that we're, it's just going to kind of be like, wow, mind-blowing, right? And that's going to be the case for eternity. E- every day we get to learn more and more about our God and the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's such a blessing. But in addition to that, he's given us this book. He's given us his word, and he says, here's what I want you to know about me. I want you to, to dig into the word of God, and I want you to dig and dig and dig, and, and I want you to dig out all the little nuggets, and I want you to get as much as you can, right? Get all that you can, because there's more to be gotten. And when you get to heaven, you're just going to unpack more, but get all that you can now. And, and the more that we can experience Christ um, in, in this life, uh, knowing him through his word, experiencing his work in life, um, the more exciting we get, the more um, we look forward to the next life. I think that's Paul, right? Paul talks about dying being gain. The reason why Paul talked about dying being gain because he knew that he had embraced Christ fully in this life and he was looking forward to getting more, to embracing him more in the next life, to understanding him more. So with that being said, we looked at Matthew. Let me say it this way. Matthew and Mark are a duo, and Luke and John are a duo, okay? Dynamic duos, right? Matthew and Mark, Luke and John. Matthew deals with Jesus Christ from his exalted position. This is a prophetic, very prophetic book. Matthew is a very prophetic book. When you read it, you have to think prophecy. You have to think future. You think about the fact that there is going to be a kingdom that's going to be established on this earth for a thousand years, and the book of Matthew is written to describe Jesus Christ sitting on the throne of David, ruling and reigning in righteousness over the world. And, the, and, and, and if we take Matthew and connect it with Revelation 19 and 20, we realize that we will be ruling and reigning with him in the world. It's a wonderful promise book. It is a book that you can look at it and you can say, this is what the world should be like, but it's not, right? And this is what the world is going to be like, not after we fix it, amen, right? But after he fixes it. We're not ushering in the kingdom. We are preparing for the Lord to usher in his kingdom, and that's going to take place after he returns. So we have Jesus Christ in his exalted state as king, and then Mark presents the total opposite perspective of Jesus Christ, and it shows Jesus Christ as an absolute total servant. Everything that he does in Mark is about serving. It's about doing. It's about, it's about um, humility and obedience and submission and, and helping and caring and And we see in Mark this complete opposite perspective of Jesus Christ from being king as Jesus Christ being servant. And there's so much for us to grasp in the book of Mark because that's what we're called to as Christians. 
We can go through the book of Mark and we can see the the humble nature of Christ and we can see Jesus Christ refusing any and all praise and and, and worship and adoration and, and, and being about God's business. That's what we see in the book of Mark. And it's a very, very challenging book because because we can can see what we're called to in that book. So then we get to Luke and John, and Luke and John carry two different, another dynamic duo. Matthew and Mark deal with the work of Christ or his his, um, ministry. Luke and John deal with the person of Christ. Luke and John deal with who Christ was. Matthew and Mark deal with what he does and what he will do. Luke and John deal with who he is. And again, you have two extraordinarily um, opposing or different perspectives. John presents Jesus Christ as absolutely, 100%, without question, without error, God. Jesus Christ is God. Fully God. No question, not one ounce, not one percent less God than God the Father was or God the Holy Spirit is. John presents Jesus Christ as fully God, but then we get to the book of Luke, and Luke presents Jesus Christ as 100%, not 99%, not 98%, but 100% man. And they're both 100% true and accurate to the character and nature and person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the most amazing being to have fully the character of man, to, have, to be fully man, 100% man, and at the same time be 100% God. You say, well, Pastor John, how, how do you expect me to wrap my, my, my mind around that? And my answer is, is I don't, right? Isn't that what makes God God? When he says something about himself in his word that we simply take a knee to it and say, yes, that's true. A- amen, right? It's like the, the very end of the Bible where Jesus talks about coming back and, and the very end of it they say, okay, Lord, amen. I think that's probably the goal that the Lord is trying to get us to today in our Christian lives is where we will kneel down and just simply say, Amen. Which means, I agree, so be it. Even when we can't fully understand or grasp it. So Luke, Jesus Christ, man. John, Jesus Christ, God. We'll look at John next week. With the instruction in the book of Luke about Jesus Christ being man, the reason it's so important is because what Luke describes in describing Jesus Christ being a man is he describes the sufficiency of his own sacrifice for the sins of mankind. Without Jesus Christ being 100% man, if the, if the man who died on the cross 2,000 years ago for my sin was not absolutely 100% just like me without a sin nature without sin, but 100% just like me, he could not be a sufficient Savior for me. So it is absolutely necessary that we understand that Jesus Christ in all ways is just like us, except he did not have a sinful nature. And having a sin, does having a sinful nature make us men? The answer is no. 
Because we know that for a fact, because who did not have a sinful nature? The first man, Adam, did not have a sinful nature. So having a sinful nature does not make us man. Having a human nature makes us man. Jesus Christ had 100% human nature, and he had 0% human nature, or, or sinful nature. Man. Why do I do that, babe? <laughs> I'm so glad that you guys are so gracious, and they're like, he didn't really mean that. <laughs> and you're right, I didn't really mean that, and I'm, I'm glad when I catch myself too, because that makes it even easier. <laughs> Luke chapter number one, um, it's good to serve the Lord, isn't it? Isn't it? It's good to be able to laugh. It's good to be able to make mistakes, isn't it? And, and just to know that there's grace there. And we just keep on working for the Lord, and, and uh, He just keeps on showing grace to us and keeps on moving us forward. Luke chapter number 1 is where, where we're going to start. Remember, Luke is written to describe the sufficiency of Christ as a man. The purpose of it is to dispel all doubts about Jesus Christ's humanity, and then to show in that that His sacrifice for our sins were sufficient. To, to satisfy God's wrath towards mankind, namely towards those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, let me say it this way, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is sufficient for all sins to ever be committed. That means that you can commit the worst of sins, and I could commit the worst of sins. I could be a murderer and still experience the, the sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice, and it would be enough, right? But, but also remember this, that just because Christ's sacrifice is sufficient for all sins does not mean that it was meant to pay the penalty for all man's sins. It's very specific in God's word that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is, is sufficient for all sins, but it is only effective or applicable to those who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a very distinct group of people who actually benefit from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Or we um, might even say it a different way. There's, there's a very distinct group of people for whom his sacrifice was meant to accomplish salvation. Jesus' sacrifice affects everyone. Okay, For some, it affects them in a temporary way, meaning that everyone who is alive, saved or lost, is experiencing grace and mercy. Each and every breath that they take is a grace of God, right? So God's, Jesus' sacrifice is affecting them, but not in a salvific way. There is grace that is given to them because of the sacrifice of Christ. For us who are believers, there is, an, a, there is a, as John, 1 John 3 describes, that there is a certain type of love, a very special love that has been bestowed upon us, and it has nothing to do with us. It's so important to remember that Jesus didn't look down from heaven and be like, oh, you know what, there's that group of people. They just really, really want me. They love me. They need my help, so I'll go down there and help them. God looked down from heaven, and he saw that all men were what? All men were wicked, right? All men were evil. So he wasn't coming here because he saw people who had a heart for him. He came here because he saw zero people who had a heart for him, and he came to give people a heart for him. It's a gift that God gives. And I'll say this to you guys this morning, you ladies. You say, well, Pastor John, I don't have a heart for the Lord. Know this, it's a gift that he gives. Get on your knees before him and say, God, I need a heart for you. I don't have it. 
I have a heart for the world. I have a heart for this or that, but I don't have a heart for you. Get on your knees and confess that to God, and he is gracious, right? He is gracious and merciful to give it to us. But if we're not willing to acknowledge that we don't have a heart for God, then he, can't, he won't give it to us. So, so, so know that. It, 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 I don't even know how I got there, but, but it was good. <laughs> Chapter 1, verse, the first four verses really describe the book uh, clearly for us, and I'm going to read it to you. It says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. This is a book that's a really an amazing narrative. It's, it's an extraordinary narrative. As you read it, what you will see is that each, each section is a complete story in itself. It, different from Matthew, Mark, and John, you cannot read the book of Luke without seeing the constant flow of story after story after story. And it's not, he doesn't just, you know, in, in Mark, he'll tell a little bit of the story, like the miracle, the miracle piece of it, but he, he leaves out the, all the rest. In Luke, every detail of the story is included. Every, every, every name, every relationship, how old Jesus was, all of this stuff is included in the book of Luke. It's a narrative, a beautiful narrative of the humanity of Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say... Um, in verse 2, just as those who were from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word um, have dispelled them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. And we won't get into who Theophilus is because we don't know who Theophilus is. Um, there really is no reference to this man um, in the Bible, other than in the book of Luke and in the book of Acts, the two books that Luke writes. The name means theos, means God, and uh, phileo means love. It means one who is loved of God. So we know that that's what the name means, but we don't really have a strong idea of who Theophilus is, but both of Luke's writings are written to this man. And he says this, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. So Luke has written to give us certainty about the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ, to confirm for us that Jesus Christ was fully man, so that we would know, we would have um, full confidence in the fact that he was sufficient to pay for our sins, therefore we can rest in his sacrifice for our sins, and therefore experience the salvation that comes by trusting in what Jesus Christ has done for us. Listen, it is so absolutely important that we learn to rest in the fact that Jesus Christ has accomplished everything necessary for salvation. If you come, and if I come to Jesus Christ today, and I bring with me 1% of the necessary work for me to come to God in favor, then I will never come to God in favor. But if I embrace the fact that Jesus Christ accomplished absolutely everything necessary for me to come to God in favor, then I can come to God in favor. The, uh, Hebrews 4 talks about coming into his throne with boldness because we have a high priest. Who is our high priest? It is Jesus Christ. We have this high priest who accomplished everything necessary for us to come into the throne room with favor. The Bible talks about on several occasions about when the high priest would bring an offering into the, into the Holy of Holies, which was the most sacred place in the temple. 
He would bring the offering in. If the offering was acceptable, he would be allowed to leave. If the offering was not acceptable, if what he brought was an unacceptable offering, he would die. Because he represented the people before the presence of God, and he was not able, get this, he was not able to enter into the Holy of Holies without the proper sacrifice. This is why it is impossible for you or me to enter into the presence of God without the proper, without the proper sacrifice. And who is the proper sacrifice? Jesus is the only sacrifice. When Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, do you know what he was saying? I'm the only sacrifice that make it possible for you to enter into God's presence. But at the same time, the amazing blessing is this. If I am embracing what Jesus Christ has done, I should have absolutely zero fear of entering into the presence of my God. Because Jesus Christ has sufficiently taken care of all things necessary for me to come into the presence of God. Amen? Amen. And therefore, Hebrews 4, we therefore can come boldly before the throne of grace to find strength to help in times of need. We get to come into God's presence boldly because of what Christ has done for us, not because of what we have done. So with that, that's that's a strong, long introduction, all right? but a necessary introduction. Let's dig in a little bit here. Look at some things that that show us in the book of Luke that Jesus Christ was fully man. So point number one, if you're taking notes, is evidence of Jesus Christ's humanity. Evidences of Jesus Christ's humanity. Okay, We see in the book of Luke the shepherds, which is not in any other of the gospels. You can compare them to the wise men in the book of Matthew, but in Luke, you have the shepherds coming, which is a, a depiction of, of common humanity. Um, you have the, him being born in a stable, which is a picture of, of common humanity. You have the picture of him needing help from uh, other people to finance his ministry, which is a picture of common humanity. You have a, a lot of pictures all throughout the book of Luke that describe his humanity, not from the standpoint of him being great, but from him just being a man. And in Jesus Christ's humanity, there was an extraordinary humility. There was extraordinary humility in his humanity. And we see that all scattered throughout the book of Luke, and there's great examples to us about how we can live. So we see the shepherds and the wise men is the first thing. And then we see Luke's writing, several things in Luke's writings that help us to understand his humanity. Okay, if you're following along on your notes, the first one is the use of his name Jesus. Okay, approximately a hundred times in the book of Luke, we see the name of we see the name Jesus. Jesus' name was not something that he was given before the foundation of the world. He wasn't existing in heaven with the name Jesus. He was born and he was given the name Jesus. He was given that name. Obviously, the angel of the Lord told um, his parents to to call him Jesus, but his parents ultimately gave him the name Jesus. It is the name that he was given as as a child. The term that's used in Luke 2 and verse 21, if you want to turn there with me, he says, and at the end of the eighth day, when he was um, circumcised, he was called Jesus. 
And the word called here is very important in the Greek because it's used 39 times in the book of Luke, and, it, and it, it's always referring to somebody giving someone else a name, uh, somebody referring to somebody else in a certain way. So the name Jesus, when we see the name Jesus, not just in Luke, but in all the Gospels, we know this is referring to his humanity. This is referring to Jesus Christ as being a man. Okay, And so he, he, they, it refers to his name on a number of occasions. It refers to Joseph as his father in relation to his genealogies. If you go back to the book of Matthew and you look at the genealogies of Christ, it refers to Joseph as being the, hus- the husband of Mary. And because Mary was ultimately the mother of Jesus and God was ultimately the father of Jesus. But in the book of Luke, you have a reference to Joseph being the father of Jesus. And it actually says, as it is supposed. And it puts that in brackets because we know that Jesus Christ was the son of, was the son of God. That he did not have an earthly father as from a physical perspective, but he had an earthly father from a human perspective, and that was Joseph. So the book of, the book of Luke refers to Jesus Christ as being the son of, of Joseph, uh, uh, Mary's husband. Okay, there are several uses of, of, of personal pronouns and nouns throughout the book of Luke. Uh, I, as I was studying through it, it um, just as you read it, you'll see it kind of unfold the, 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 the humanity of the book the personal descriptions of names, um, uh, relationships, uh, people. There's, uh, I mean, it, it describes uh, eyes, ears, noses. Um, it describes legs and arms. It, it goes through, and, and, I, and I'm, trying, I'm not trying to be facetious, but I, as you read it, you'll see it. it. It's so strong in making this into a real, personal, human book. To let us see Jesus as being totally man, fully man. Why? So that we can understand that he was a sufficient sacrifice for our sins. There are three key words and and perhaps more mentioned in the book of Luke. The word certain uh, comes from the Greek word tis. It is a a term that describes, um, describes a noun. And it goes, this was a certain man, there was a certain this or a certain that. And, and in each case, it's not just a, a generalization, but it's pointing to the fact that this, this is a certain story that's taking place and pointing to the certainty or the, the nature of each one of these individuals being a real individual. Occasion is used, the Greek word genomai is used 132 times in the text of Luke and again, it's just talking about a very specific occasion. Instead of just being generalized, it's talking about something very specific. And then the word anthropos, man, you will find uh, Jesus Christ referred to as a man several times throughout the book of Luke. In addition to that, um, other men are referred to as men. Um, it, just, it, it makes that reference, and, and, and he does that so that we will understand that Jesus Christ is a man. There's, there's, a, there's an, a special emphasis on these terms throughout this book to unpack for us the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read a couple of verses to you. Chapter 23 and verse 14, the Bible says, and you, brought this, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people, and after examining him before you, behold, I do not find any 
I do not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Verse 18 says, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas. Chapter 23 and verse 47, And there were certain, um, there were certain centurions saw all this had taken place, and he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was an innocent man. And then we have the temptation of Christ. Jesus Christ says, man shall not live by bread alone. And I know that he's referring to a, a marvelous example there, right? We cannot live by bread alone. But who is the one that's specifically going through that situation at that time? What was Jesus Christ doing? Well, he was depending upon the Holy Spirit of God. He was de- depending upon prayer, and he was depending upon the Word, right? So man, referring to himself, shall not live by bread alone. Matter of fact, um, my version, which is the ESV, actually capitalizes the word, the letter M in that first word, describing man, me, man shall not live by bread alone because Jesus Christ was fully man. So we see a lot of, in, in Luke's writings, we see a lot of examples that point us to the fact that he is referring to making a strong emphasis on his humanity. The second thing that we see is the fact that Luke emphasizes Jesus Christ's human attributes. Okay? Only in the book of Luke do you find Jesus Christ actually maturing or growing. Luke 2 and verse 40, the Bible says, And the child grew and became strong, filling with, filled with wisdom, and grew in favor with God uh, when God was upon him. Chapter 2 and verse 46, After three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. The implication is, is that Jesus Christ is growing. He's not just growing physically, but there, he is growing intellectually. He is learning things. We don't think of, we don't, we never think, matter of fact, it would be really in so many ways almost blasphemy to refer to God as learning something, right? Because God is, is omniscient and omnipotent. He is all-knowing and all-powerful. He knows everything. So, so God, when we, when we look at Jesus and we see him growing and we see him learning and we see him understanding, what we understand is, is that we have for us being described his full 100% humanity so that we don't have to question the fact that he was fully man. Chapter 2 and verse 52 says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. So we see human maturing and learning. We see, number two, human attributes. Uh, In other words, it talks about in Luke 7, um, the woman in Simon's house comes and anoints his head with oil and washes his feet with her hair, right? Human attributes, right? Chapter number 8, the Bible talks about the woman that had the issue of blood for 12 years. She comes and she touches the Lord Jesus Christ, another human attribute. We go down to the very last chapter of of the book, and I want you to turn there with me, chapter 24, because this passage really unfolds for us a lot of this, Uh, beginning in verse number 36, and as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood before them and said to them, peace to you, but you have, but you have, um, but you were, but they were startled and frightened and thought that they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet. That it is me. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. 
And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieving for joy and were um, marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of, of, of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it. And the last two words of this, of, this, of this phrase are so important. He ate it before them. He ate it in their presence. He, he is saying to them, look, I'm, I'm eating. Look at my hands. Look at the scars in my hands. Look at the scars in my feet. Look at the scar in my side. I, I want you to see. I want you to understand. I want you to embrace the fact that I am fully man. So absolutely important and significant to these men embracing this reality for their salvation that is is going to be finalized and secured when Jesus Christ leaves and sends his spirit back and, and, and his spirit indwells them. He shows human attributes, his hands, his feet, his head, and those things. Luke emphasizes human needs in Luke chapter number 8 and verse number 3, tells of a group of people who provided the needs of Jesus. No other of the Gospels refer to this, but there's a group of people who followed Jesus around because they were there to provide his needs, his physical needs. Jesus Christ needed to eat. Jesus Christ needed money to eat. And, these, and these, uh, this group of people were there to provide Jesus Christ's physical needs. Why does he mention that? It is to show forth his humanity. He was always working to show us that he was human. Chapter number 4 and verse 2, you have the story of Jesus Christ being tempted. And after he has been tempted for 40 days and hasn't eaten anything, he is what? He is hungry. Can we, can we connect with that this morning? Yes. Can we? When we don't eat for 40 days, we're what? When we don't eat for 40 minutes, we're, we're hungry, right? Right? We know what it's talking about here. What's he saying? He's saying, connect with me as a man. Understand that I am fully man. So when you see Jesus Christ as the, as the number one, as perfect, having no sin, realize that he did that in his humanity, not in him being God. He was without sin as a man. And then when we see him hanging on the cross, we know that he hung on the cross as a man so that we can know that he was sufficient to pay the sins for, for men. Jesus Christ never sought, sent a redeemer for angels, folks. Every angel that ever fell, fell one time, and there is no hope for them to ever be redeemed. But there's a hope for man. Human needs, human struggles. We see in Luke 4, and, and of all the Gospels, it's probably the greatest detail of Jesus Christ being tempted in the wilderness. We see at the end of the book of Luke, we see Jesus Christ in the garden, there's no greater depiction of the garden experience than in the book of Luke. As a matter of fact, you never see Jesus Christ sweating as if it were great drops of blood except for in the book of Luke. Listen to me. You and I have never faced anything like Jesus Christ faced in his humanity. And he shows us that. He displays that for us so that we can come to him in humility and we can embrace him and know that he has been through what we have been through, yet he did not lose. He won. Amen? 
And we can come and we can embrace him. Not, we can embrace him. And when we embrace him, we experience the victory that he accomplished for us. Man, that's why we can come to him with all of our problems, because he faced them. He faced problems such that he sweat as if it were great drops of blood. You talk about problems, he had problems. Human problems. Hebrews 2.18 says this, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to seek to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted like we are, yet without sin. He had human pain. Remember this, when Jesus Christ suffered on the cross, he felt everything as if it were us hanging on that same cross. Some people say, well, Jesus Christ was God. He He just disregarded the pain. No, Jesus Christ suffered fully as a man. You say, how is that possible? Jesus Christ suffered willingly as a man. You see, the the interesting thing is this. When Jesus Christ became a man, he became a man by choice. He chose to. He chose to lay aside all of the wonderful benefits of his divine nature so that he could become a man and he could bring us the benefits of his divine nature. 2 Corinthians 8 9, the Bible says, He who was rich became poor so that we who were in poverty might become. He laid it aside so that we might have it. Human emotions all throughout the book of Luke to show that he was man. So we have evidence to begin with. The second thought this morning is the emptying of his divine rights. And I just want to deal with this just for a moment. How did God the Son become a man and function fully as a man? How did he feel pain? How did he feel hunger? How did he feel hurt? How did his suffering on the cross equal our suffering on the cross? How was it that the pain that he felt was equal to the pain that we would have felt? Again, we like to minimize the fact, we, we, can't, we cannot fathom, you and I cannot fathom being beaten with a cat of nine tails, having a crown of thorns placed upon our head and beaten into our heads, having our beards literally ripped from our faces, right? Being spit upon, lied about, and mocked, and then hanging on a tree, having ap- done absolutely nothing to deserve hanging on the tree. We cannot fathom that, but Jesus can. And the reason it was all possible is because God the Son willingly stepped out of heaven. He said, I'll do it. And it was a part of God's eternal plan to redeem a people for himself. Listen to me, folks. You are here this morning because of what Jesus Christ did. We are. That's a reality. We get to hear the gospel preached because of what Jesus Christ did. We need to remember this, that Jesus Christ did not have to do it. He did it because he wanted to. 
John 10, verse 17 and 18, the Bible says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. Listen to this, and if you have time, read Philippians 2, verse 5 through 11, lays it out very clearly. John 17, 1 through 5, lays it out very clearly. But I want you to think about this with me for a moment. One thing that's always baffled me about the Lord's the Lord Jesus Christ's crucifixion is this. When the soldiers came to, came to Pilate or Herod, I can't think of which one it was right now, and they said that he is dead, Pilate or Herod was confounded because he had died so quickly. Because it wasn't normal for them to, matter of fact, they would often break the legs of the men who were on the cross to cause them to suffocate because they could not push themselves out up anymore. Here's what I believe. I believe Jesus laid down his life. He gave his life. No one took it from him. He gave it willingly of himself. And he confounded even the soldiers who hung him on the tree. Isn't that amazing? No one took Jesus Christ's life. No one forced Jesus Christ to become a man. He did it willingly. He emptied himself. Again, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, he made himself in the form of a man. What a wonderful, wonderful sacrifice to make it possible for us to be saved. Lastly, this morning, the effects of his humanity. You have the evidence of his humanity, you have the emptying of his divine rights, and you have, the, lastly, the effects of his humanity. Two things, very quickly. Number one, because of Christ's humanity, we have a sufficient substitute for our sins. We have a sacrifice that has been made that was satisfying to the righteous demands of God for our sins. In other words, that God wrote the law and said, and said this, the wages of sin is death, Right? So God wrote the law, and God sent his only begotten son to completely satisfy that law for me and for you. Amen? I know that deserves an amen. And not me deserve an amen, but that deserves an amen. He sent, he came willingly, perfectly, He came born of a virgin. He lived 33 and a half years. And do you know how many sins he committed? Do you know he committed zero sins in his humanity so that you could be saved? So that I could be saved? Jesus Christ became a man so that he could significantly and sufficiently pay for our sins. Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews, if you would, chapter 10. You're familiar with this text, I'm sure. The Bible says in verse 1, For since the law has but a shadow of the things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. 
Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have a conscience of sin? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every single year. And it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. As it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offering and burnt offering and sin offerings. These are offering according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Amen? Amen. And every priest stands daily in, at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Jesus had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made his footstools. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You see, in the body of Jesus Christ, in his full humanity, he became for us the sufficient sacrifice for our sins. Isaiah 53 says it this way, that he bore our iniquities on his own back. And Jesus Christ, in verse number 10, it says, and God bruised him and it pleased God. In other words, God's wrath was satisfied in the bruising of of his own son. And those who embrace that experience the grace of God in and through Jesus Christ. Lastly, the significant example that it gives us. There's so much in the book of, of Luke that we can learn how to live life. There's compassion, the good Samaritan, the widow with two mites, the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. In each case, you have you have. Christ being represented as being compassionate. And we also should be compassionate. You learn about forgiveness and Jesus is hanging on the cross in Luke and he says about the men who had hung him there, he says what? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. We learn about forgiveness. We learn about humility in the book of Luke. He's born in a manger. He has, Mary doesn't have the ability to make the sacrifice of a lamb because she doesn't have enough money. Jesus preaches extraordinarily to the poor in the book of Luke. Provisions are made for Jesus by other people. He brings the poor to the feast. He talks about Lazarus going to heaven and the rich man going to hell. We learn about a lot of humility in the book of Luke. And lastly, we learn to be dependent. Jesus Christ shows us both in the garden and in the wilderness how that we must be dependent in those times of difficulty, dependent on prayer, dependent on the word of God, and dependent upon the Holy Spirit. I just want to close with this this morning. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've never embraced what Jesus Christ has done for you, maybe you think, you know what? I'm going to figure this thing out. I'm going to make my own way. 
Hebrews 10 says, if you're going to make your own way, there is no way. But Jesus Christ is the way. He is so sufficient and so capable, according to the book of Mark, that he can save anyone. Amen? Amen. He can save anyone. If you're sitting here this morning and you're a Christian, we have an extraordinary calling. You know what our calling is? Is the fact that we're called Christians mean that we have to live like you have to live like Christ. What an extraordinary, listen, not, not what an extraordinary responsibility while it is, but what an extraordinary privilege that we get to be like Jesus. And this Christmas, might we embrace, yes, the fact that Jesus is one day, is king of my heart now, and one day is going to be king on the earth. Embrace that, that Jesus Christ is a servant and is capable of doing anything. Embrace that but embrace the fact that Jesus Christ was 100% man. And when he hung on the tree, he hung satisfactorily for the wrath of God and that you and I can be saved through his sacrifice. Next week, we will see the fact that Jesus Christ is God. Father, we thank you so much for everything that we are completely undeserving of. Your grace is so amazing and significant, and it's so well displayed in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and the fact that his blood was sufficient to pay for all of our sins. I just pray that you would help us to embrace that, to embrace that for salvation and to embrace that for daily life. We pray your blessing upon this last song that we'll sing, your blessing upon this week. May you be the center of our focus. In Christ's name, amen.